Hey, everyone. So before we get into this first episode here, I did want to come on here real quick and say that due to recent events in the US, we did want to include a content warning that this episode does contain in-depth discussion of a scene in which Edward imagines killing his classmates. Uh, We do understand if you want to give the last third or so of the episode a miss, it kind of kicks off once the Midnight Sun discussion is in full swing. So you can also just check the show notes for the actual timestamps of that. The show notes are also a place that we're going to be keeping content warnings for all of the episodes in the future. So for this episode and any episodes that we post from here on out, if you want to check our show notes beforehand just to see the list of content warnings, we will have everything listed below. Another blanket content warning that we wanted to give is actually for the entirety of life and death and our discussions that will be happening surrounding that. Throughout this entire series, you're going to be hearing us say things like gender flipped, gender swapped, gender bent. Um, And despite those not being very popular terms in some communities, it's really the only way that we're able to kind of communicate what's happening in life and death. Yeah. So for anyone who's not aware, um, the term gender swap, gender bend, et cetera, uh, kind of flattens gender into a binary. It basically, you know, the word swap assumes that there are only two genders. It erases a lot of people's experience. If you're a non-binary, some people who are gender fluid, you know, people all over the spectrum find that this really flattens and erases their experience. So it's not a great term to use in everyday life. However, in the context of life and death and Stephanie Meyer, that absolutely is what she's doing. She is flattening the gender... (laughs) experience into a binary. She believes there's only two genders, um, as evidenced by everything in this book. So we are, we're going to be using that term, honestly, for lack of a better word. I've also heard people say sex swap, but that no. is a little bit of a tongue twister for me. Um, so this is just a disclaimer, you know, if if that's an issue for you, just letting you know that that's in here. We, are, we, we do use those words um, to talk about gender flip. And just to make sure that everyone knows, um, we do understand it's it's a spectrum. It's not actually a binary unless you are within the world of Stephanie Meyer's life and death, in which case it suddenly is. Yeah. So that even though that is a bit of a sensitive topic, it's something just we don't want you all aware of just so that you're not caught off guard by any icky feelings. Exactly. Yeah. And happy pride. Happy pride. Again, feel free to click the show notes now. Keep up with our content warnings there and on to the episode. Thanks. Fucking Twilight Scholars. Hi, G. Hi, Shannon. All right, everybody. Welcome to Three Books, One Plots, the only podcast on the web where one of us reads Life and Death, one of us reads Midnight Sun, and some lucky Australian we dragged in out of the bush reads Twilight. (laughs) Everybody, I want you all to welcome as our very first guest, our dear, dear friend, Lexi. Yay! Hi, everyone. Oh, my God. This is so exciting for a multitude of reasons. Yes. Lexi is our our dear, dear friend. And the second we knew we were doing this podcast, we were like, we got to have her on. Truly the perfect candidate for our first episode. We met Lexi through Twilight Fandom. So clearly she's an expert, possibly more of an expert than us because she's like better read than us by far. Like I was there when the history was written, but I wasn't paying much attention. Lexi like paid attention. Yeah, no, my middle school ass had other problems. (laughs) (laughs) You were a little scabby. You had some other things to worry about. Yeah, I had some skin issues. I I was having a time. (laughs) 
But yeah, Lexi, welcome. If you want to share anything about yourself or how long you've been in fandom in general or even in the Twilight fandom, the the floor is yours for a bit. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm Lexi. I've been in fandom for a very long time. I was 11 when I first got into it. Oh, God. Same. Yeah, uh, something about children and the internet. Very dangerous. Don't go crazy. <laughs> I remember when Twilight was released and all the chaos that was kind of surrounding it. Um, I was I was definitely deeply into Live Journal when it came out, but I was kind of on the peripheral, very judgmental. I got into <laughs> Twilight again. Perfect. Got into Twilight again in I want to say 2015, 2014, maybe. I'd have to look up the date specifically. Honestly, I'm going to be totally straight here. I ran out of fan fiction for another another ship that I was reading and thought, who will give me this exact flavor of dopamine? And Twilight was right there. And I thought, yep, okay. Hell yeah. <laughs> it's so funny too how you say that. Like, which like if I'm out of content with this fandom, what pairing from another fandom can I go to and get that same experience because I find that I also have a fictional type when it comes to what do I want to read what do I want to see I know people who do that though who go and like search and replace they have like a chrome extension to search and replace the names of different fics so they can make it about their faves which I that makes me angry but whatever floats your boat wow it was called bootlegging fic and we used to do it back in 2000 and I want to say 2005 Holy shit. This is why we need Lexi on every episode. <laughs> Bootlegging fic. That's actually amazing. The only oh. thing was it was absolutely forbidden to share what you did because that was obviously distributing oh. fic that, yeah, but it was it was write. a thing. We were, we were desperate. Wow. Oh, my God. That's, oh. See, it, that's actually so amazing. So you said, so you remember it coming out. Me and Jean know Lexi because Lexi is a very, how do I say this? Fucking amazing writer. And we <laughs> oh, found, yeah. We found her fan fictions. I don't know if we found them separately or if. Separately. Per, yeah, we were just perusing the uh, fan fiction websites as one does. But. Yeah, there is an ancient text from me to Shannon being like, holy shit, Lexi's fic just updated from before we were friends with her. Am I allowed to say the name of the fic? Absolutely. Shadow Delight. (laughs) I find that so funny because I think it was one of the first times Shannon ever um, replied to one of my posts on Tumblr. It was because I had posted some handwritten notes for Shadow Delight that I'd written on my iPad. And Shannon's comment was like, oh my fucking God. And I thought at the time... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that it was the state of my horrendous handwriting because that shit was illegible. Like oh it was God. unbelievable. And I literally thought Shannon's like, yeah, yeah, that's going to be hard to transcribe now, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I no! had no idea. It was like anyone cared what I was doing in my corner. So it was very exciting. I'll also say this for Lexi's fan fiction. I'll never forget the first time I was when I finished one of her stories because I was babysitting until four in the morning. I wasn't supposed to babysit that late, but I was like, I guess I'll just stay up while mom and dad get home and read all of this girl's fan fiction. And it destroyed me. So Lexi, would you like to add any social media handles or anything like that here so that people can go see what me and G are talking about? (laughs) (laughs) I'm girl who writes on AO3 and fanfiction.net and golden eyed girl on Tumblr. That's where you find me. I always loved the straightforwardness of Girl Who Writes. You're, you're like, this is what I'm here to do. I'm not fucking around. <laughs> it's so good. No, I made the mistake of using my full name when I was a kid. And um, so I sort of regressed. 
backwards. Wow. Oh, <laughs> Look wow. at you. You said, let me learn the stranger danger, I guess, at some point. <laughs> Straight away. That's good. Well, speaking of Tumblr, a thing that I saw on Tumblr the other day that I feel like we absolutely have to talk about is Ashley Green's NFT. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. Thanks, I hate it. It's an Alice-themed NFT. It's like, I don't know what food it's supposed to be. It's, it's an like egg. done in collab with an NFT company that does like food NFTs. So it's like vampire plus egg. Most people have compared it to the yellow M&M, and I think that's very apt. <laughs> oh, um, that's a good one, actually, yeah. One of the most horrifying things you've ever seen, basically. It's pretty rough. The thing is, there are so many good artists that can would have done her art for her <gasps> right? for this purpose. Yeah. I just, I, it boggles my mind that she went to the egg illustrator. Well, and I guess in positive news, she did just announce that she's pregnant, so good, good for her. Good Congrats! Yeah. Congratulations, um, Ashley Green. Your NFT is stupid. <laughs> all right, all right. So let's uh, switch gears now that we've hashed that out and start talking about the actual thing we're here to talk about, which is the three books with the one plot. <laughs> I can't wait to get to a point where us saying that doesn't make me laugh the way it does, but it's still just so funny. Speaking of ways to make bank... <laughs> <laughs> Before we do our little 30-second summaries, I'm going to just contextualize for us the date. We're going to do a timeline check-in with in-universe, in the universe of Twilight. What day is it? So the very first chapter of Twilight takes place on Monday, January 17th through Tuesday, January 18th, 2005. So keep that in mind. This is like two days. Very short chapters. This week, uh, Lexi is our Twihard. Our guest is always our Twihard of the week. Mm -hmm. And then our lovely feminist of the week was Shannon. Yep. Shannon read Life and Death. <laughs> and then I am Edward's therapist this week. Edward's therapist of the week. I read Midnight Sun. Just truly the window into his twisted mind. We're going to take turns summarizing those and we're going to start with Twilight so we can kind of build on our understanding of the three books and how they work together. Yeah. So Lexi, whenever you're ready, you go ahead and start. But the second you start talking, I'm pressing go on my 30 second timer here. Okay. 30 second summary of Twilight chapter one by Lexi. So a teenage girl with a severe attitude problem who has some serious self-esteem issues, leaves her mother, moves to a small town in the armpit of Washington, the way she makes it sound, um, gets a free car, goes to school, judges everyone, and <laughs> has her meet cute and just depresses me. I don't know about anyone else, but I was depressed by chapter one. Um, I don't know what else to say. Oh. Well, that's all the time you have, so that's all you're allowed yeah, to say. Cool. That was amazing. <laughs> I'm so sorry to anybody who lives by the armpit of Washington. Oh, there is nothing. There is nothing nice. Right. She says nothing nice about it. She and really I just doesn't. You, and I just I feel sorry for everyone who lives there. For real, it upset me how she talked about forks because yeah, it's pretty rude. I, I'm definitely a rain person. Yeah, ready? Yeah. Shannon is now going to summarize. Chapter one of Life and Death. Ready? Go. Bo for Swan. Bo moves from Phoenix, Arizona to a small town called Forks, Washington to live with his father, Charlie, after his mother, Renee, gets remarried. He is decidedly not fucking happy about it and is loath to be in Forks despite taking it upon himself to lie to absolutely anybody who asks him about it. He ever the martyr. While there, he struggles with the inadequate experience of what we know is called being a goddamn teenager. He crosses paths with a mysterious and not cognito family. And when he quote unquote meets his new biology partner, he suddenly has more questions about Edith and her strange but sudden hatred of him. That's all I had. 26 seconds. That's pretty good. That is insane. You had four extra seconds. <sighs> I should have put more then. 
<laughs> Let me take a breather. Ooh, ma'am. G is going to be giving us the uh, 30-second summary of chapter one of Midnight Sun. G, the second that you start talking, I'm pressing go. Okay. Edward is in high school and he really hates it because he's a vampire. He's sitting in the cafeteria with his siblings and there's a new girl and he realizes he can't read her thoughts. He can read everybody else's thoughts. Uh, Then he goes to biology class and she sits down next to him and he realizes she smells really, really good and he wants to murder her and murder everyone in the room. Then he flees biology class. He goes to the office. He tries to switch to a different biology class. The lady says no. Bella comes in. He freaks out again because she smells so good he wants to murder. Uh, And then he freaks out some more and decides to leave town completely so he doesn't murder her. All right, and you're done. Wow, I think we did pretty good. I think we did great. Yeah, no, I think I think some of my frustration with Bella came out just a little, <laughs> a little bit. So let's start with Twilight. <laughs> oh my god! Oh, it's so funny to reread it, knowing what happens oh. and knowing what the takes are on every other book. That it just makes me so delighted to reread. I was shocked at how short the sentences are. I, I don't. Is that weird? Like yes. It's, they're very short sentences. I have that too. I was shocked at how clumsy the very third sentence in the whole book is just real bad. I was wearing my favorite shirt, M-dash, sleeveless, white eyelet lace, semicolon. I was wearing it as a farewell gesture. Are we sure she was wearing it? <laughs> it sounds, I think because um, Christian Stewart's Bella is such, the, is, is such the predominant like image of Bella the idea of Bella wearing a white eyelet lace top is quite alien like yes yeah she's got her flannels her bowling shirts her grunge it was a bit shocking to read that she has like one or two girly tops I feel like she is wearing a girly top in the very first scene but I don't know if it's white eyelet lace I'll comment on this once we get to life and death but I have many things to say about the way that Bella talks about forks because she talks about it in a way where she's like yeah like I don't want to be here like I'm not happy about this I'm gonna have my Mm -hmm. like mini cry in my bedroom when I arrive and then I'll suck it up and I'll move on oh we're gonna talk about the crying we we absolutely must have to one of my notes was drink every time Bella tells us how she's suffering more than anyone has ever suffered a martyr she's a martyr she really is I completely forgot that she cries and not only does she cry the first day she cries and schedules time to cry later like she plans <laughs> I forgot about that yeah she pencils it into her evening which I my note here says Shannon move <laughs> I can't I fucking hate you guys just a drama queen listen she's nothing if not a Virgo through and through she has to schedule out every hour of her day or else <laughs> For all we know, she was balancing the checkbook for Renee because she wanted to. A super Virgo. She just wants to. She just wants to have control over it all. And now we've added Shannon as an astrology bitch who cries a lot. <laughs> That's me. Welcome to the show. She does get a free car. Yes. Yeah. I my note about the car was this. I love that Bella says the reason she wants her own car is because it's embarrassing to be driven around in a police cruiser, and also it slows down traffic. And then she gets the slowest car known to vampire. I just, I just, it upsets me because Charlie's obviously like on a reasonably low wage in a town that is yeah. historically quite low associate. I think in in the real world, like Forks is predominantly yeah, prison well, workers or logging. It's a logging town. A truck is a truck and it's, it's a good quality truck and she's very judgmental. She does not go in there with massive amounts of gratitude. Someone buys me a car and they own me for life, like, you know. And I don't have a license. So. I didn't realize she doesn't know. She doesn't recognize Billy Black's name. 
here in this first chapter. Yeah. Because fandom had me and the movies had me thinking like they were really close. Like she knew this is like my dad's best friend and like I grew up with his kids. Not at all. She doesn't even know who he is. So it's funny to think that like even though she was up there for the first 14 years of her life spending a month every summer, it very clearly did not mean a lot to her. Well, she says she strategically erased Billy from her brain because they were fishing and she hates fishing. Oh, man. The only other note I had before she gets to school is the paragraph where she looks in the mirror and describes herself. (laughs) What? She basically describes a very attractive person, but then acts like she's the ugliest bitch known to man. Oh, my God. Isn't there a part where she describes her skin as almost translucent looking? Yes. Not only her, Edward describes it as translucent like six times in Midnight Sun for real. What I found it really interesting that this chapter was so long. If you had asked me what chapter that she met the Cullens in, I would have immediately said, oh, I have to be chapter three or four. Yeah. Yeah. We are in a speed race to get to Edward really, really fast. No objections from me. If it was like three (laughs) chapters of like Bella complaining about forks and making Charlie lasagna, I think I would kill myself. You have a point. You have a very strong point. But I'm glad we get vampires right away because that's what I'm here for. That is true. Speaking of things Bella complains about, she complains about the school not having chain link fences and metal detectors. It's like, it sounds like a really pretty school. She complains about there being plants in the office. Like, where does she get off? She, uh, well, not at school, first of all. So let's jot that down. (laughs) She, yeah, she just fucking hates the color green, I think. My other favorite line that I completely didn't know was in there was when Charlie goes to work, she says he goes off to the police station that was his wife and and family. family. Yeah. horrible thing to say about your divorced father we do love charlie i don't know i find it really sad that we're told we're basically told that charlie and renee ran off to las vegas to get married and i don't know it just seems sadder to me i forgot about that it's interesting that bella later also wants a vegas wedding when her parents vegas wedding did not go well it actually makes me wonder if um and this is terrible if renee was pregnant and that's why they got married shotgun wedding shotgun wedding like there's a little bit to unpack there but yeah it just seems bad a lot goes down in chapter one she's at school and she is so mad at anybody that tries to help her she is so cruel to eric right off the bat when he has done nothing but be kind to her out of the goodness of his heart her description of him is nasty she says he has skin problems and hair black as an oil slick and that he's the overly helpful chess club type Overly helpful? Girl, do you hear yourself? Like, Which is interesting, though, because when she meets Mike, she's super like, oh, this guy's like super nice and like a little bit like... Well, I had the note that she describes Mike as cute and that makes all the difference in the way she treats him. Yes! Oh my God, Bella. She's shallow as hell. Bella, we're on to you. We're on to you, girl. The other thing I wrote down is, girl, no wonder you have no friends if this is how you think about people who are being kind to you. Yeah, absolutely. And that is the tea. I was just going to say, from an um, international perspective, the book list that Bella dismisses as having read it all, that is not the flex that she thinks it is. Um, I don't know outside America, but we would not be reading a lot of that. We would be reading Shakespeare. It would be unlikely we read any of the Bronte sisters. This is definitely, um, yeah, no, we've got our reading lists are a little bit more postmodern. They're not good, (laughs) but it would not be 
I just it, it it's sort of yeah it, it's very pretentious it's very um setting herself above the rest of the class yeah um yeah right off the bat yeah I'm not sure if that's an American thing that just gets lost in translation it probably is yeah yeah which she says immediately after is that was comforting dot 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 and boring it's like girl pick a struggle do you not want to be stressed out over <laughs> English class because now you're not stressed out over English class for real one, one thing you can check off your list great this is going to be easy for you <laughs> now she's suffering more than anyone's ever suffered Take a drink. 21st century martyr, Bella Swan. She's led into the cafeteria and then she gets to see the cones. She doesn't meet them, but she sure does see them and describes them in depth. And this is where we get the um, the comment on how Rosalie or Edward, one of them is so beautiful. And this is our first Bella, you're not straight moment. The way she describes Rosalie, she's talking about her figure, she's talking about her hair. Like, okay, okay, we see you. Like she describes all of them very complimentary because they're they're gorgeous. They're supposed to be. Oh no, yeah, the she had a beautiful figure, the kind you saw on the cover of the Sports Illustrated Swimsuit Issue. The kind that made every girl around her take a hit on her self-esteem just by being in the same room. And then she just goes, really? Oh, yeah. Very LGBTQ of you, Bella. I also find it, it's kind of just a weird little footnote, but uh, Emmett is shorter than Jasper here. And that gets completely retconned. Wait, what? (laughs) Yeah, they describe. Prove it. She's describing both of them as like being ripped, but Emmett is more ripped, but also shorter. Everything I knew was a lie. I don't know if that's going to be of interest to anyone but us, but it sure is interesting. I'm going to need a moment to recover from this knowledge. I think most of the world is probably not quite as fixated on Jasper. Another was taller, leaner, but I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) Yeah. He's a nightmare. Jasper, but he's six foot six. (laughs) I can't. Shannon, you sound like you just vomited at that. Uh, I need to go lay down. Anyway, I I love the part where she describes the Cullens. I think that's just so iconic. The fact, my favorite thing about it is the fact that they are all sitting there looking away from each other and not talking. (laughs) They said, we're going to blend in and then they act like that. In Midnight Sun, spoiler, Edward describes how they're all trying so hard to seem human and performing human tics like tapping their fingers or toes or whatever and like messing with their hair and i'm like you know what would be a better way to blend in and seem human fucking talk to each other or eat the food if they don't want to eat the food talking to each other is a great way to avoid that no and like not have people notice i want them to commit to the bit i just find it bewildering like this was still written when mobile phones or cell phones were coming into fashion and none, none of them are playing i mean i I know that games on phones are significantly more interesting these days, but we did have Snake. Like, it just, just sitting there blankly is is bewildering. She sees them. She's like, ooh, who are these strange-looking loner hotties or whatever? Thinking like, oh, they're just like me. And they're pale. They're super white. <laughs> then she goes to... Bio. Biology. And that's where the magic happens. And by magic, I mean, Bella has the most confusing, however long that period is, of her life. And of course, right after Edward sits and stares at her for so long, and Mike's immediately like, so what did you do to Edward Cullen? And she's like, shit, he's not usually like this, huh? So did you stab Edward Cullen with a pencil or what? (laughs) And then Mike says, he's a weird guy. God. I fucking love Mike in this chapter. He clocked Edward immediately as a weird guy. And then, of course, poor Bella's like, all right, well, let me go ahead and finish up my day and go into the office. And he's standing there just arguing with the lady at the front, like, put me in another class, please. I'm fascinated that you could just switch classes like that. That's not a thing in high school, though. Yeah, you really can't. (laughs) Oh, good. That makes me feel better. I thought that was another American school system bonus that no one else got 
she drives home fighting tears. But she has to she has to pencil them into her schedule. She can't let them out yet. It's not 9 p.m. yet, Isabella. Credit where credit is due. It does a great job building mystery of like, why does this guy hate her so much? Okay, question for the table. Who do we think is the MVP of the tw- of this chapter? Mike. Mike. Thank you. That's who I had written down. <laughs> Mike for that line about the pencil. <laughs> he is a nice boy and I'm team Mike. Yeah, after rereading it for the first time in a long time, I'm definitely team Mike. So are you ready to jump right into... Um, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, absolutely. This is the alternate universe Twilight, basically, where Stephanie Meyer swapped almost everyone's genders. As life and death mirrors Twilight exactly in terms of the events throughout this chapter, there are so many little obnoxious changes. And I have yes. to point out my favorite one, yes. which happens on the first page, where instead of <laughs> Bo, Beaufort Bo, instead of him wearing any nice shirt as a farewell gesture, he says... I I had on my favorite t-shirt, the Monty Python <laughs> one with the swallows and the coconut. My mom got me two Christmases ago. Third sentence, baby. Talk about hashtag not like most boys. And it's so strange because he goes on into more detail right after the scene when he's doing his travels to Forks, talking about how like, just like Bella, his mom escaped the depressing gloom of the town. But then there's a line about how his time in Forks feels like a prison sentence. And when the <laughs> car door slams behind him, it made a sound like the clang of iron bars locking into place. Oh and then immediately God. he goes on about how Okay, I'm being melodramatic. I have an overactive imagination that, you know, my mom tells me that all the time. That said, like a Monty Python shirt, like that gives him a little more character than yeah, I think Bella's shirt gave her. It like, does. He feels more like a person already. Entirely like a character that's attempting to be fleshed out, which is a big criticism that a lot of people had of Bella because they're like, oh, well, it's so bland that anybody like can project onto her, which is yeah. true. Which is the point. Yeah. And even though I don't like how harsh he seems to be on Renee as opposed to Bella because Bella's not harsh on Renee at all. Renee's Bella's best friend, but Bo is very much like Renee's caregiver. And Charlie even says a line to Bo, like, are you yes. think she's going to be okay without you? Mm-hmm. Which Charlie does not say to Bella. Charlie does not say that to Bella. And I am somebody that has to stand Renee because people hate her. So I like her. So that's my mommy, everybody. Fuck off. For for background, uh, the Twilight Tumblr fandom has decided that Renee is like neglectful and verging on abusive because Bella had to like pay the bills. Enemy number one. However, what I'm seeing here is that that was not Stephanie Meyer's intention in Twilight. She just wanted a reason for like Bella to be born 40 years old, quote unquote, so she would be more set up to date a hundred year old man. I think somewhere between Twilight and Life and Death, someone told her, hey, Renee's abusive. And she went, hmm. Yes. An opportunity to make my character more of a martyr. Bo even says about how he didn't have much of a childhood, which which Bella doesn't remark on. Bella does not remark on that at all. Bella's just like, this is my mommy and I love her and she's just a silly little goofy bimbo, which again, (laughs) bimbo stands. A woman after my own heart. But Bo has some issues with, he's got mommy issues, so maybe that's why he decided that dating a vampire, that's how he justified it. (laughs) Yeah, there's some very much weirdness with the parents in life and death that like wasn't really there in twilight unless you make it be there and there's also a moment where they're in the airport 
and after Charlie's picked him up and Bo bumps into important moment, some man with a, some tattoos and a lady with her hair dyed. And it be, it's supposed to be like a scary moment. Cause he's like, Oh, sorry. And they're like, what do you mean? You're sorry. But then they see Charlie, who's a cop standing right next to him. And like, it's just a weird non moment. And it's so bizarre that she put that in there. It's not, it's in there very deliberately. It's so that character, those characters can come back for the Port Angeles scene and be the ones to threaten Bo because they're so mad about this airport incident. (gasps) Oh my God. Which tells me, right? I forgot about that. She cannot conceptualize the idea of a man being a random victim of a crime the way a woman can right? Like men can't be assaulted. No, no, no. There has to be this weird confrontation. So the guy has beef with Bo for bumping into him. This is going to make, so for a lot of you out here listening who are like, what do you mean? This is going to make so much sense in like, what, 10 chapters maybe? (laughs) Bo, like Bella is very clumsy, but unlike Bella, his clumsiness is as described as the result of a growth spurt because he's extremely tall because he couldn't just be clumsy. That's not manly. It has to be a growth spurt. One, another notable thing about his height is that he says he was bullied. He was actively bullied. He was bullied. He was pushed into lockers. Bella was never bullied. He was bullied. Yeah, which is interesting. I think it's like a strong choice, but it's also kind of like, there's no reason why Bella couldn't have also been bullied. Like, yeah. You do know girls get bullied, Stephanie, right? Uh, I'm completely shocked by the um the, the couple that come back to assault him. I literally never picked that up. That- <laughs> <laughs> I always forget about oh, it. My other note that I had about the Charlie picking him up scene, there's the line in Twilight, Billy Black used to go fishing with us, is changed to Bonnie Black and her husband used to go fishing with us. Yes. What? Because it's it's 1812 and Charlie can never possibly spend time with a female friend without her husband present. Now we get to see more of the like gender swaps as we go mm-hmm. further and further into the story. Billy Black is now Bonnie Black. Of course, Eric is Erica. Mike becomes Michaela. Speaking of gender flipping... Bo doesn't cry. Bella cries twice. Bo cries zero times. Stone cold. You know what he does instead? It says he lets his thoughts get dark. (laughs) No. Somebody has to brood. Only men can brood. Women be crying. Men brood. Even if you go back, there's a line where Bella's like, Forks is beautiful. And then Bo goes, it was probably beautiful or something because Bo only knows Monty. (laughs) Bo only knows Monty Python eat hot chip and lie because just like Bella, he lies to everyone about how much he enjoys Forks. Men simply cannot perceive the beauty of nature. They're select, they're blind in that area. They have no idea. Do you know the weirdest change? The weirdest change in the thing is, I'm sure it says Bo's eyes are blue, not brown. Yes. And that is bizarre. I, it just seems unnecessary. Bo looks like his mom. Unnecessary change. Well, it, it actually says he looks like his mom, except he doesn't have her pointy chin and full lips, which leads me to imagine that Bo is like a chinless, lipless <laughs> nightmare. Oh, no. Back when Twilight was first released, I remember um, Stephanie Mayer was really public with her face claims, her her fan cast for who she would want to play in the movie. And every time she brings up full lips, I just remember that um, Emily Browning was her primary choice for Bella. And I just think, you know, it's 10 years on and it just was never the sort of project that Emily Browning would have taken on. She does serious indie shit. And I just think 
we need to be to fair, wait. so does Case do now. Yes, true. That that is very true. Yeah, she just yeeted herself out of the genre. But that, yeah, that just that, I, I just always think of a, um, Emily Browning wearing like a goatee and really short hair every time I read that description. I do also remember her being in all the like fan edits back in the day too, because I remember being before Twilight came out, being like, "Who is this girl? That's not the actress that Bella's supposed to be." She was she was the preferred actress. Yes. Also, I told our friend uh, Lilia the other day that she needed to look up more pictures of Gerard Way because that's exactly, that's who Stephanie Meyer imagined and envisioned when she was talking about, this is who I would picture being Edward Cullen, which gets funnier with age. Wasn't it? Well, also Henry Cavill was the other one. Yeah, Henry Cavill was one of them. I hope Stephanie is enjoying seeing Henry Cavill in gold contacts for The Witcher. Yeah, no, I think about those too, the old fan castings that she had on her like blog, her little website. Physical description of Bo, he's tall, he's got blue eyes. He does not spend a long time staring at himself in the mirror describing himself. That paragraph's gone. Yeah, but he does, like Bella, talk about how he wishes he were cool or popular or homecoming king. Home or homecoming king-esque. Well, that's hard to say. Um, Homecoming king-esque? No, it's not. Yeah, it's a little, shut up. Whatever. But then in the same breath, he goes on about being like, I didn't relate to other kids, but that's because I didn't have a childhood. And he laments on that for a bit, which is like, another thing where it's like damn Bella never never did that yeah it seems like another thing that belatedly occurred to Stephanie because Bella does lament about how she doesn't fit in with other people but Bo elaborates a lot more about why that is one thing about the going to school that I noticed is that Bella's like really nervous about it like she's having a panic attack about going to school Bo is instead saying this isn't a life and death situation title drop it's just high school. Wait, where? Where is the title drop? It's where there. he's like in the parking lot about to get out of his car. It won't be that bad, I lied to myself. Seriously, though, this wasn't a life and death situation. It was just high school. I really like that. I love that. I think that's like a really fun title drop. I will say flip side, the casual snide judginess about people's appearances hits kind of different when it's a guy, you know? Yeah. Yes, he is very mean. So we meet Eric, who's Erica, who's just being nice. And Bo's literally like, wow, this girl's so overhelpful and nerdy and just doesn't understand sarcasm. And it's like, bro, shut up. The doesn't understand sarcasm is so funny to me. Like, you know, you made a joke that was bad and it didn't land. And it's somehow the other person's fault for being such a basic local. Jessica's Jeremy. Eric is Erica. Obviously, we get around to um, Mike, who is Michaela. But when they're in the cafeteria, here's a very important scene. This is where we meet the Cullen kids. Now it goes just about the same way, except for the way that all of them are physically described. So I hope you have everyone listening, your image of what these Cullen kids are supposed to look like, because we are about to just reach into your squishy little skulls, rip that image out of your brain, because this, it just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Let me just give you the description of one of the Cullen kids real quick. One I could tell was super tall, even sitting down, maybe as tall as I was. Her legs (laughs) went on forever. And then dark curly hair pulled back into a messy ponytail. And then Bo likens her to someone who's probably the volleyball captain. Obviously, us being Twilight fans are like, oh, that's Emmett's doppelganger, who name Eleanor. G on a scale from one to ten, what would you name what would you rate this name change? Uh, well, okay. <laughs> What I wrote on Tumblr about Eleanor is that I hate it, but only because there were so many better options. Like, it's fine as a name, but Emmett is literally the male version of Emma. Like, it's the rare name that is a male version of a female name instead of vice versa, the other way around. So, yeah, it's it's baffling. You could have been Emma, you could have been Emily, you could have been Emmeline. All of those would have been period appropriate names. 
Eleanor is also a period appropriate name. It's just not as good. <laughs> and I, I think it's interesting that uh, she's almost as tall as Bo. Like, come on, Emmett is 6'5". Like, what? They could have also just had her be like 5'11". Having her yeah. be that tall is very strange. It's very The heights in Life and Death get very weird. So we already have Bo's weird, undetermined tall heights. And now we have Eleanor, who's apparently extremely Almost tall. Almost as tall. But not as tall as Bo. Not as tall as Bo. No, can't have can't have her as tall as Bo. No female character is allowed to be taller than their male partner. And the result of this in Life and Death is that every single Cullen is like 6'5". So the next description goes, hair the color of honey hanging to her shoulders. Not quite so tall, but still probably taller than most of the other guys at my table. There was something intense about her, edgy. And then Bo likens her to some machete-wielding action movie actress. Obviously, we would all notice that this is clearly Jasper's description, who is now Jessamine. What would you rate this name? Well, Jasper is just a hard name to make girly and period appropriate. So I'm fine with Jessamine, especially because it means Jasmine. I mean, I don't know how popular Jessamine was in the 1800s, but it it was out there. I think that one did okay. I think she did okay with that. So the next description is really funny because it's the shortest one. And it says smaller with hair somewhere between red and brown. And that's like the full description besides the hair color. And that's obviously Edward, who is Edith. There's really he doesn't go into much description there because he's got an entire book to go into description there. So we'll we'll learn more about Edith's appearance. But what about Edith? That seems like a pretty decent name swap, right? Yeah, well, I have to give credit because Edith and Edward are come from the same root name, Ed. But yeah, same name different genders so that one I'm fine with and I think the fancy spelling was a fun choice because like she's a fancy pretentious character so sure yeah yeah e-d-y-t-h-e very interesting um next description goes taller than me I guess six five or even more then straight gold hair wound into a bun on the back of his head (laughs) but there was nothing feminine about it somehow it made him look even more like a man and then Bo likens him to a star athlete or prom king and too cool for this school or any obviously this is supposed to be Rosalie who is now royal (laughs) I had um I had the note about the man bun to the utterly unfeminine man bun (laughs) But I think it is fun that she let him keep the long hair. Like, okay, sure. The name though. Oh my God. F in the chat. F in the chat for Royal. Bad one. It's really funny though. And it just gets funnier throughout the entire book. I forgot how much as someone who loves Rosalie, I fucking hate Royal. Um, The next description was, this is, <laughs> here, here he comes. <laughs> All right, hold on. I can do this with a straight face. Shorter guy was wiry. His dark hair buzzed so short it was just a shadow across his scalp. This is obviously meant to be Alice, who is now Archie. And then just a couple pages later, Bo describes Archie as a skinhead while he's walking across the cafeteria. Now, G, I'm going to let you rate the name and then... Go ahead and, and, and tackle that topic there for us, huh? I sure will. Okay, so Archie, 
It's fine. It's a little cutesy. I can't imagine any of the things Archie can be short for as like fitting Alice, but whatever. Archibald. I think Alex would have been like, it would have felt too modern, but it would be like logical. Like Alexander is a popular name for all of history. Okay, so the skinhead thing. Good God. I know. For anyone who's unaware, that name has certain connotations. And I'm going to give you a brief history, like rundown of like skinhead, what that means and why it's weird that it's in this book. Basically, skinhead culture started in the 60s. It was originally in London, England, and it was kind of like a working class aesthetic subculture of like having short or no hair, hence skinhead meaning bald, which is clearly what Stephanie Meyer thinks it means, but oh boy. So it started out as just like working class, like people taking pride in their neighborhoods and also getting really violent during football slash soccer games. Then slowly evolved into a subculture that kind of had like a schism and there was, it became associated with racism and specifically anti-Semitism and Nazism and stuff like that. There's like a subculture within the subculture of skinheads who were like really into violent crime against immigrants. It was really xenophobic. Uh, which is interesting because the culture actually originated like they were heavily inspired and influenced by Jamaican immigrants to London. So a lot of the original skinhead stuff was involving black culture and like it was definitely integrated. Not so much in the 80s. The 80s is when things got way off the chain. There started being all these violent hate crimes. But at the same time, there were like anti-racist skinhead factions also. Like if you, I'm going to link a source in the notes for you guys to look at. If you read the Southern Poverty Law Center's timeline, there was a, like a whole huge all-out war in Chicago in the 80s of like anti-racist versus racist skinheads. But slowly, the term has come to have heavy connotations mm-hmm. of violent racism. Yes. Um, and I didn't know this, but like the most recent skinhead crime, like hate crime on that timeline was the freaking 2012 shooting, mass shooting in the Sikh temple, which mm. I remember that being covered, but nowhere did they use the word skinhead despite the perpetrator being a self-identified like member of like a skinhead group. So I do think like it's understandable a little, a tiny bit that she might not know what those connotations are because the word has definitely like fallen out of usage. Like mm-hmm. I think nowadays when, if you saw a skinhead, you would describe them as alt-right or a neo-Nazi. You wouldn't immediately say skinhead. Yeah. But like Stephanie Meyer is Gen X. Like she should, if she were paying attention to the news, would have heard that term. For me, before I like, was aware of this whole discussion and you know noticed this word in the book to me it was kind of like it would ring a distant alarm bell of like huh i think this has something to do with nazism but it wouldn't necessarily be at the forefront of my mind that like that's always what skinhead means and i think to this day there are anti-racist like skinhead factions they're just not really the ones you hear about or the connotations that the term has so yeah it's fucking weird that stephanie meyer used this word (laughs) where i land is that do i think she put it in here intentionally as like a secret racist dog whistle No. no no but do i think that she's therefore off the hook for using it also no uh, I think this is something that should be taken out of future editions. Like, definitely. The publisher should have caught that. Somebody should have caught that. <laughs> to sum up my research on skinheads, fucking yikes. <laughs> fucking yikes. But, Lexi, do you have any comments or um, commentary on the name swaps or anything of the sort with the Collins? I thought Royal was the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard and also the most Mormon thing I'd ever heard. Honestly, Re- it was a good- is that a Mormon thing? I mean, weird names in general are a Mormon thing. 
Because they're out here having 12 kids. So. They do They do stay running out of names. You know what? I'll give them that. Yeah. No, I thought most of the names were were pretty good. Um, I wasn't aware Jessamine was that old-fashioned. I thought that was a more modern name. But I think that's just the disconnect between America and international. Yeah. Well, it's not – I don't think it's even that – I do associate it with being, like, kind of Southern. But, yeah, I don't know that I would consider it, like, oh, that's a historical name, but I wouldn't be surprised to hear it in a historical context, put it that way. I think it's the Tiffany, um, the Tiffany conundrum again. Um, Historically, like, Tiffany sounds like a a contemporary name, but it's actually really, really old-fashioned. Yeah, it's a nickname for Theophania. The only other note that I had on life and death in general, Bo's not like most boys, and the anti-Renee propaganda is is set (laughs) so thick in life and death. My queen. Okay, wait, but you said we were going to talk about the infertility thing, because that is a note that I had. Infertility thing. Oh, did you not catch that? Okay, so in Twilight, when Jessica is telling Bella about the Cullens, she says, I think Mrs. Cullen can't have children, though. And in Life and Death, when Jeremy is telling Bo about the Cullens, he says, I think Dr. Cullen, who is the wife, can't have children, though. So she changed what oh, character was infertile oh, so it stays definitely. the woman. Oh my God, I didn't oh catch that. That's how you know that society has even warped us that we both read that we're like, yep, moving on. So sad. Normal. Normal. Wow, good catch. I just think it's significant given in, for anyone who hasn't read the rest of the Twilight books, Stephanie Meyer has a big fixation on infertility. A, like three or four of her characters mm-hmm. are, it's a major theme. It's a major theme for Rosalie, for Leah, to some degree for Esme, and then later for Bella. And then it does turn out at the end that male vampires can reproduce sexually, female vampires cannot. So this seems par for the course in a really telling way. The other the other really tiny difference that I noticed that I thought was fucked up was when they're talking about how Edward has turned Jessica down in the past, Bella wonders when Edward turned Jessica down, while Beau wonders how many times Edith turned Jeremy down. The other thing I had was um, Bella smells like strawberry shampoo while Beau smells like laundry detergent. That's from when they sniff themselves. <laughs> when they sniff themselves in the biology room. Those are the two scents that we get. Men don't shower, obviously. Boys don't wash their hair. Do you want to hear um, my list of things that are only for women versus things that are only for men, according to... So badly. Oh, I there's nothing I would want more. Things that are only for women. Big words. Uh, the language in this book is noticeably dumbed down. Christianity. The opening quote of Twilight is the Bible. The opening quote of Life and Death is 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. I think it's actually a better quote, but clearly Christianity, girls only. Being clumsy and short, only for women. Having a chin and lips, (laughs) women only. Infertility, only for women. Also women only. Strawberry shampoo, as we just tackled, strawberry shampoo, women only. Crying. Absolutely not. Men don't cry. (laughs) Men not allowed. And finally, perceiving the beauty of nature. (laughs) Meanwhile, things that are only for men. Monty Python, obviously. Fishing without your husband present. Only for men. Being bullied. Also only for men. Yeah, yes. And that's all of it. That's my list. Dark dark thoughts only for men. Dark thoughts, you're so right. Mommy issues only for men. Just the fishing. (laughs) I can't go fishing. My husband's not free. But I mean, at the end, the biggest changes besides everything else that we just talked about is having to adjust to all the characters just being different names. Because if you've read this book after knowing Twilight or reading Twilight, your brain has to do a little bit like of extra work having to be like, oh, okay, 
same character, but also this is an entirely new character. And now my brain has to figure out like, all right. The other thing I think the big difference is the writing. Um, because it's so it's it's hitting all the same beats and some of the sentences are the same but like writing wise it's a big departure you've got these two opposing forces happening the one being Stephanie Meyer trying to write like a teenage boy and the way she does this is by dumbing it down but also you can tell in the intervening years like her writing has gotten better like syntax wise it's less clumsy so it's got these two weird like it's better in some ways and a lot worse in others it's kind of fun as far as I'm concerned, that just about wraps up any comments I had on Twilight, uh, not Twilight, on um, Life, it's all, it's all Twilight, what am I kidding, on Life and Death. Yeah, I make no secret of the fact that I love Midnight Sun. And that is like, right off the bat, I like it better, because the beginning, it just jumps in more during the action. It's kind of more exciting than like, Bella getting picked up from the airport. It starts out with the cafeteria scene with Edward in the cafeteria with his siblings. And I'm very familiar with the beginning of Midnight Sun because as we talked about in the last episode, the draft of just the beginning was online for a really long time. And I read it a bunch of times because it's pretty short. I noticed a lot more all the changes between the draft and the final product. I will say too, it's kind of almost unfair how much more interesting the conflict of Edward and his siblings look into the future, read each other's minds and try not to murder is than Bella. I'm starting at a new school swan. Like It's so fun. It's just more interesting. Like the stakes are just higher when it's like Jasper trying not to murder someone. Yeah. But I do want to say before you get into anything, before you start, I did take notes on Midnight Sun because of how fun it is. Purgatory <laughs> is mentioned in sentence two. I just have to say that. High school is purgatory. It takes sentence two. Two. Well, it it matches because Edward says high school is purgatory. Bella says Forks is her own personal hell. So they really are made for each other in that sense. Anyway, Edward is sitting there with his siblings, just like in the other two books. They're all staring off in different directions. And Edward's being an asshole. Yes. And Edward's internal monologue is immediately right off the bat, like Shannon Ugh. said. He describes the other guys, the human guys in the school as sheep-like males. <gasps> I wrote down, take a drink every time he sounds like a fucking incel. (laughs) Uh, So we're going to call that an Ed flag. Every time it's a red flag, but Edward specific, it's an Ed flag. He has nothing but contempt for everyone around him. And it's so clear. Yeah. He even like refers to the the teenagers excited about Bella. He calls them a group of toddlers. Like, shut up. Maybe compared to your decrepit ass, but like, come on. Well, and like, I can see what she's trying to do there. Like, it's a character thing. Like, oh, he's so old and he's like so bored here. But like, okay, then don't, then leave. (laughs) Hit the bricks. (laughs) I can also sort of like see what she was trying to do with the sheep-like males. Like, I think she was trying to make her vampires more animalistic by having them use male and female instead of man and woman. Because like, man and woman implies some level of humanity. Uh, Whereas male and female is, it's how you talk about animals. But it just makes them come across so pretentious and incel If someone sitting next to you in a class starts speaking the way that Edward is thinking, you go straight to the office and you speak to the guidance counselor. The way he introduces his siblings is he kind of goes around the table and tells us each of their thoughts, which again, I think that's like a fun device. I like that. Yeah, Rosalie is thinking about her own hotness and how hot she is. As she should. I wrote down, is that a real thing hot girls do? (laughs) No. Emmett is grumpy because he lost a wrestling match to Jasper. He kind of comes across as stupid. Edward's like, yeah, he's just kind of stupid. Edward's literally like, Emmett's just some guy. (laughs) And then Jasper is thinking about murdering his fellow students. (laughs) And my and my favorite part is that there is a scene, like a portion of a scene where Alice and Edward are like 
communicating without communicating because they're like the two psychic ones, the freaks that Edward refers to them as. But there's a moment where Alice talks to Jasper and is like, if you think of them as people, it's so much easier. Her name is, what is her name? Whitney or something. And he's like, I know who she is. And Alice is like, all right. And like gets up and leaves. (laughs) She actually understood the assignment of hit the bricks. (laughs) But it does give fun insight into um, the way that Edward and Alice communicate. And I think Edward and Alice's relationship is something that's so fucking fun so important it's definitely a highlight of midnight sun for me i think they're they're just interesting because they both see the world in this completely warped different way different from each other different from everyone else and they're like such a team in terms of the silent talking and exchanges i love how much colin siblings are in midnight sun it's just a delight for me personally but also like i can understand with this monologue how it might turn people off or like ruin the character for them especially if they're more familiar with the movies where we don't get any internal monologue like i know for me the movie bella is much more sympathetic to me when it's cute little kristen stewart doing her little nervous tics than when she's like describing everyone as ugly and stupid like (laughs) I have to wonder if it's like the reason people in our community dislike it so much is because they're just so unused to this type of book with like a unreliable narrator who's kind of a dick. <laughs> I personally wonder if it's fic because this was a, this was a scene that was really um, that was really looked at a lot in fandom, especially a lot of the challenges about writing canon stuff. So I'm wondering if we've we've sort of heard it so many times that people have their favorite interpretations of it. Mm-hmm. And that now we have an official interpretation, they're sort of rejecting it. Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, people would reject anything. And that's a big thing. If you're in fandom spaces that are like conjunct with like the Renaissance, you definitely see people rejecting the canon to the book characters in order to like substitute in what they imagined the characters to be like. And Midnight Sun, you'll see as we go along, definitely, definitely changed my opinion on some characters, made me dislike other characters more and made me love other characters more in a way I didn't expect from Stephanie Meyer. It's illuminating. And that that thing Shannon just described, by the way, of rejecting the canon version of a character and kind of substituting your own is called fanon. So you're making up your own canon and you're a fan. Fanon. Okay, so other things I had written down. I love what a fake little bitch Jessica is in, <laughs> in Midnight Sun. Edward is just constantly describing how her exterior friendliness is not matching up to her nasty internal monologue. And I love it. I feel represented as a fake bitch myself. The way that they do describe Edward's gift in Midnight Sun, even in the first chapter, makes it sound like it's a fucking nightmare to have because you can't turn it off. You can only tune it out. So that does suck. But at the same time, she's a teenage girl. She's allowed to be a little bitchy. That's her right as an American. Yeah. So I do find it notable and interesting that Edward has to insult literally every non-Bella character he mentions, except maybe Alice. Everyone else insulted. And some of my favorite Edward negs I will read for you. Mr. Banner, a man of no more than average intellect. (laughs) The generically popular Mike Newton. And then the office lady, Mrs. Cope. The woman with the artificially red hair. He can't let anybody live. He has to completely tear down everybody inside his head. And this is something that I think is kind of a common like hallmark in lazily written romance. It almost reads as though the author is not confident enough that their love interest is really cool. So instead of actually making the love interest cool, they tear down every other character. So the love interest is amazing by comparison. One of the other major differences I noted is that every time, even in chapter one where he's not describing Bella as attractive, he calls her unexceptional and stuff. Every time he looks at her, he describes her eyes as deep 
deep wells. They're so deep and clear. <laughs> they're so strangely deep. And then are they ever orbs? They're not orbs. Sadly, not orbs. I don't think. Damn. I don't think you're going to encounter orbs in Midnight Sun. I think Ugh, Twilight I was her orb era. But my favorite thing is that no matter how insufferable Edward is in Midnight Sun, it's so much more palatable to read about him again wanting to just murder a bunch of kids. Yeah. Well, one of my other favorite things about Midnight Sun is the the AUs the um for anyone uninitiated alternate universes that it creates like here's some examples uh it's basically all the different ways he could have murdered Bella in this chapter he she walks into biology class he loses his fucking mind Another, one thing that does annoy me is he always personifies his vampiric murder instincts as the monster Ugh. the monster inside him shut and up it makes I me want to smack him like sorry that's 90% of your problem right there like if you stopped thinking of this as a separate entity outside of your control, maybe you'd have an easier time controlling yourself. Anyway, she walks in. He completely is freaking out about how delicious she is. The language here, I have to note, is so slut shamey. It reads as like a weird allegory for like girl wore spaghetti straps to school and now all the boys are distracted. Like Bella flips her hair slightly and he's like, was she insane? Like this hussy letting me smell her hair. And like he never actually uses any of that language of like slut or hussy or whatever, but it reads that way because anytime she does anything, it's all her fault. It's her fault for smelling good. I even have a quote here where he goes on and he says, and I'll read it. He says, I didn't want to be the monster. I didn't want to kill this room full of harmless children. I didn't want to lose everything I'd gained in a lifetime of sacrifice and denial. And then he goes, I wouldn't. And then he goes, she couldn't make me. She's no one's making you. No one's making you do anything, sir. Like not to undermine like how difficult it is to be a vampire either. Cause like, that's an interesting thing. Like the whole, like them resisting blood is like a cool conflict that I think is cool to read about, but the way he phrases it is just so icky. And so, yeah. So then he's talking about murdering all the kids and he plans it out in detail, like down to the second. He's like, here's how long it's going to take me to murder everyone in bio. It's awesome. And then he plans, okay, maybe I could murder her after bio. Maybe I could lure her into the forest. Yes, you absolutely could if the movie is anything to go by. And then he plans to go murder her at her house. And the note I have here is think of how many Renezme free timelines he's creating. Yeah, no, it's pretty dope. Don't taunt me with a good time. <laughs> Don't taunt me with a good time. And I I think I'm in the minority here because this was another thing that I know really horrified people to like hear firsthand just how murdery Edward is. Because in Twilight, like he tells her, I really want to kill you. But she's kind of hand waves it away is like, but you didn't. Whereas in Midnight Sun, you see just how close he was to killing a bunch of innocent people. It's so fun. As he's like creating all these decisions to kill Bella different ways, he wonders why Alice is not seeing this future <laughs> because her power is based on decisions and she gets new visions every time you change your decision. So he's like, why hasn't she seen me murdering Bella half a dozen ways and come to either help stop him or clean up the evidence, which I love that. She's such a rider and I bitch. She would stop him or clean up the evidence. But Alice is missing the whole thing. She can't keep Edward from murdering right now. She's trying to keep her husband from murdering right now. Hashtag, is it all really worth it? Please stop going to school. Jasper, stop going to school. Or as Edward says, like he just needs to 
eat animals more often. It's not that hard of a problem to solve. He could just have more blood and then not be hungry. Yeah, I would also like to take this point to say that um, we know that this scene from Edward's point of view is very shocking, but I feel like a book from Jasper's point of view would leave the average Twilight reader in shambles. <laughs> it would just be constant murder thoughts. Just constant murder thoughts. You keep suggesting these things that I just want. <laughs> I would assume some readers would agree with you. Just be amazing. Remember, everyone at home, this is our favorite man. (laughs) I won't make excuses. Back to not our favorite man. I love the (laughs) idea of like him murdering the whole class and Alice showing up just in time to see that happen. I'm imagining her as like the gif of Troy Barnes walking back into the on fire room with pizza. Like what the hell? And I love the kind of thought experiment of like, okay, say he did murder the science class. How would they hide that evidence? Because 20 dead people, you're down to just, you have to set a fire. But at the same time, she's got to blow up the biology room. Has to be a gas explosion. You're in a school. Like presumably there are classrooms on either side. How do you kill just one classroom with fire? You don't. The trolley problem, but make it Edward. Anyway, so to like wrap up this chapter, I wanted to just read off a couple, my my two favorite lines of this chapter. You guys ready? Yeah. Number one, it was a God complex. I acknowledged that. (laughs) Oh, thank you, Edward. You're so (laughs) self-aware. And number two, I felt a new burn through my body. The burn of shame. Oh my God. Yeah. I stopped at that, that line too. It's so him. It's so him. It is so him. I think another of the like semi-unique little things about Twilight is how often she uses phrases that no teen would ever use, which makes sense for Edward. But for Bella and Beau, it's really noticeable when they say things like doesn't know me from Eve and sour grapes. Like that's not a phrase a teenager would use. So I think that's just kind of funny. I like the Stephanie-isms. Yeah. Who do we think is the MVP of this chapter? This one I feel like is pretty, it could be anyone who wants to go first. I'm going to say Alice for the fact that she would have helped Edward clean up his murder scene. Yeah. What about you, Lexi? Alice for walking out. I would have walked out too um, with his drama in his head. <laughs> men, I'm leaving. Walked out because her husband's being a bitch. Yeah, just just men. All the men are being bitches at the table. She's done here. <laughs> <laughs> Now I would I would say sure yeah we'll give Alice can be MVP but I think another contender for MVP should be Jasper because if Alice wasn't focusing so hard on him if he hadn't been thinking of murder so hard we wouldn't have got this fantastic scene so he deserves a little bit of side credit so Alice can be the MVP but um, Jasper should get some credit for being just an insatiable homicidal maniac <laughs> to the point. <laughs> Where, where Alice, oopsies, wasn't paying attention. Sorry, bestie. To the point where he's given Edward a run for his money in a chapter where Edward contemplates murdering 20 people. Yeah, literally talking about how much of a monster he is. And it's like, your brother's two classrooms over, literally daydreaming about the same thing. But it's just a normal Tuesday for him. <laughs> I love that we chose Jasper and Alice as our MVPs. We never claimed to be unbiased here, folks. <laughs> Not at all. You're going to see my bias plenty. Team Renee. It's okay because our other MVP is Mike. We love Mike. Listen, that's one thing. Like the Renee thing's a joke for the most part. This is the only time you'll ever hear me admit it. But I'm genuinely like Mike as a character so much. And he gets so much flack. I like Mike. We like Mike here. So Midnight Sun, chapter one, ends roughly the same place that Twilight Chapter 1 does. Edward drives his siblings home. They sort of figure out what's happened with Bella. And they realize that he's going to leave the state 
in order to not kill Bella. And Alice tells him, you better not kill her. And then he leaves. Yeah, very funny. She's like, I guess I'll fill everyone else in on your daydreams. My bad. Sorry, I didn't stop you. The sibling dynamic is once again so evident because they all turn to look at Alice to be like, explain his weird behavior. Yeah, it's funny. (laughs) And she's like, I don't know. It's a fun ending. It's a good, it's a cool little... It's a good ending. It's a good start to the story. It really gets things moving and it leaves you with questions that you only assume and can hope that the other chapters will answer. So yeah, very exciting. Um, Lexi, do you have any comments on Midnight Sun? No, but now I kind of lowkey want to read it just to hear Edward's thoughts about Tanya because I can't imagine they're flattering, honestly. I know I've jumped ahead. That's coming up. That's coming right up. If you want to read Midnight Sun along with us, uh, it's not hard to find. Yes. You always have your library. Most libraries have like an ebook borrowing system too. If you go online, you can probably borrow the ebook, maybe even the audiobook. I know my library has that. And while you're online, you can check us out on our various social medias that we talked about earlier. We've got a Twitter, a Tumblr, an Instagram. We have a Gmail. If you want to send us a really long message, three books, one plot, all spelled out at gmail.com. And we might read it on the air if we think it's fun, or we might just reply to you because we like you and we want to hear from you. Exactly. Why not? Either way, we would love, love, love to thank Lexi for being on the podcast with us today. And our very first guest for episode one. Yeah, round of applause for Lexi for being so brave. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for having me. All the way from Australia. It is Sunday where you are and Saturday for us. So this is always really fun. Yeah, she is such a delight. And this was such a delightful exercise. It has. Thank you so much. Oh, of course. But yeah, of course, check out our social medias and we will see you in the next episode with a new guest for chapter two. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.